As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach us your statutes. With our lips, we declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, we delight as much as in all riches. Help us to meditate on your precepts and fix our eyes on your ways. Then we will delight in your statutes and we will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servants now that we may live and keep your word and open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your scriptures. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, it's on page 662 of many of our pew Bibles. Psalms is between the books of Job and Proverbs. Um, if you open your Bible to about the middle, you should be close. Um, and we want to consider Psalm 139 uh, and the encouragement it gives us for the new year. So Psalm 139, which is to the choir master, a psalm of David, and let us hear God's own word. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malice intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Um, This is, as I mentioned earlier, the first day of the new year and the first Lord's Day of the new year, and I thought we should spend this time thinking about something that would be encouraging to meditate on 
uh, for the new year. This is a time where it's appropriate for us to look back at the year that's been, to look forward to the year that's coming. It's a natural time in our lives uh, to do that. A lot of things maybe you've seen recently are sort of year in review of 2022 and predictions for 2023. It's something we like to do at the beginning or the end of any year. Um, But the fact of the matter is always when we review what's happened in the year, oftentimes there are things we couldn't have predicted when the year began. Uh, We can look back at the year that's come and say what's happened, but we always look forward to the year that's coming with a measure of uncertainty. Uh, We don't know what kind of year 2023 will be. Um, And that's sort of how we greet every year. And if for you 2022 has been a great year, for you, for your family, for your friends, you're probably hoping that 2023 will be more of the same. And there's sometimes where we begin a new year thinking, this has been such a hard year for my family, for my friends for my friends, for myself. I hope that this year is nothing like the year that's come before. Um, But whatever our hopes are, whatever our designs are for the new year, we know that we can't really say for certain what will happen. Um, We don't know what events await for us. And in that kind of uncertainty facing a new year, it's good to remind ourselves of the things we do know for certain. Uh, There are things we can say for certain about the new year. And one of the things we can say for certain about the new year is what the psalmist says in Psalm 56, verse 9. This I know, God is for me. Whatever we cannot say about 2023, what we can say as the people of God is that God will be for us in this year. And when we face the uncertainty of the year to come, we can do it with the confidence that whatever comes, God will be with us. Um, I think often of the words of Alexander McLaren. I've probably shared this with some of you in the midst of difficulty. But he once said that tomorrow will bring God whatever it brings. And not take away his care and love whatever it takes away. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what tomorrow might take away. But tomorrow will bring God whatever else it brings. And whatever tomorrow might take away, it won't take away his love and care. That's what this psalm really is reminding us of, of God's powerful presence with his people, that God is present in power with his people, and he's always present in power with his people. And that's the encouragement that we can take forward into a new year, that God will be present with us, that he will be present with us in power as his dearly loved children. And that's what we can celebrate, and that's where we can draw encouragement from God's powerful presence with his people. That's the truth that Psalm 139 really celebrates, and that's the truth we want to meditate on from this psalm. Because this psalm considers God's powerful presence with his people, first as a perpetual reality. That's what's celebrated in this psalm. It's a perpetual reality. Secondly, that it's a reassuring reality to know that God will be present in power with his people. And finally, it's a praiseworthy reality. It's reason for us to give thanks and praise to God that he will be powerfully with us wherever we go. And so that's how we want to think about the reality of God's powerful presence together as a perpetual reality, as a reassuring reality, and as a praiseworthy reality. 
Uh, The psalm first begins with considering how God's powerful presence with his people will be a perpetual reality for us. David knows that it's true now in his present life. He knows that it's going to be true as far as he can look into the future. And he knows that it's, it's been true as far as he can look in the past. And he considers that as the psalm sweeps on. He begins with that present reality really in the first six verses. That God is really with him in everything that he does. How is God's powerful presence with David? David acknowledges that God sees everything that he does. Right? There's all these words for what God sees and understands. He sees all of our outward actions. Right? David says, you see when I sit, when I stand, when I sleep, when I wake up, when I go out. God is always seeing what I do. He observes all of my outward actions. Now, we can observe the outward actions of people. We, you know, probably don't watch people while we're, they're sleeping. Uh, there are some outward actions that we're not observing. Um, but God observes all outward actions, but he also sees things we can't see. He observes not only all of our outward actions, he observes all of our inward attitudes, We can see when someone's sleeping. Pastors can see that from the pulpit, when someone's sleeping. Um, We can see when you're awake. Uh, We don't know when you've been bad or good. Um, But we, we can see outward actions, right? We can see when people stand up, when they sit down, when they go out. We can't see the things that God sees, however. There are inward attitudes that we cannot see that God can see. He discerns our thoughts from afar, verse 2 tells us. He knows what we're going to say before we say it. Um, He knows our thoughts before they're expressed. Um, God knows what's going on in our hearts, in our minds, in a way that no one else can know. He can see our inward attitudes towards things. Uh, Before a word is on our lips, he already knows it completely. Uh, That's what God sees And David says, not only is God seeing all of this because he's so powerful in his insight, he's also evaluating what he sees. We have a God who is so powerful, he can see everything, and he's always evaluating what he sees. Notice all the words of evaluation that David uses. You search me, you discern, you search out, you're acquainted, you know. God is not only seeing all of this, he's not a mere passive observer. He's evaluating everything that he's seeing. He's evaluating it, he's taking it into his mind. And David says he not only sees and he evaluates, but then he acts. He intervenes. The Lord is also active presently with David, seeing, evaluating And acting, what does the Lord do? You hem me in before and behind. Now, this is a sense in which God is encircling you. You might imagine it as if you were walking through a garden maze and you walked around a corner and found you're in a a dead end. You're hemmed in before you. And then imagine you turned around and the wall had closed in behind you and you found that you were also hemmed in from behind. This is a sense of being encircled. 
You, you can't go forward, you can't go backwards without finding God there. And then what else does God do? David says, he lays his hand upon me. So I'm hemmed in by God before and behind, and he lays his hand upon me. I'm completely encircled, I'm completely enclosed by the God who acts. Now, this is a God who is always present who is always seeing, who is always evaluating, who is always acting, surrounding, enclosing, encircling his people. He's a God who's always there, David says. And even if you wanted to go away from this God, even if you wanted to Trump somehow get away from this powerful presence, there would be nowhere to go. David can't conceive of a future where this would not be the same thing. And he kind of uses all of those ideas that we have. You know, maybe there's, maybe there's a height I could go to where I could escape this enclosing and circling. And David says, no, if I, were, if I were to go to the highest heavens, I would find that you're there. Well, if I can't go high enough, is there somewhere low I could go? No, if I made my bed in the depths of Sheol, I would find that you were there. Okay, high and low, we can't go. Could we go far? David says, no, there's nowhere you could go. You could go as far east as you tried to go. If I ran to the wings of the morning, if I went as far east as I could go, there you would be. If I tried to go west, if I tried to go on the utmost side of the sea, there I would find you. So I can't go up, I can't go down, I can't go left, I can't go right. Can I hide? Could I try to hide where I am? And David says, no, you couldn't hide from God if you tried. Um, boys and girls, when you play hide and seek, sometimes you try to find you know, the, a little dark place you can sneak into where someone won't find you. But you can't do that with God because what, what does the psalmist say? He can see in the dark just as well as in the light. Darkness is as light to him. You can't go high enough to get away from God. You can't go low enough. You can't go left enough or right enough. You can't hide where you are from him. He's always there. There's no conceivable future, David says, where I could escape the powerful presence of God. And so David says, he's with me now. He'd be with me wherever I could go from here. And if I think about it, he's always been there. He was there before I was. Is there even a time, David says, that I could think about into the past where he wasn't there? No. He saw me before I was formed. Right? He he did something, again, that's beyond our ability to really comprehend. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. I don't know what it is to see something that's not. But God can see the things that are not. David says, you saw me before I was. You made me for the future that was to come. Your eyes saw my unformed body. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. There's never been a time where you were not there. And again, he wasn't just seeing David's unformed substance. He was acting. He was intervening. He formed him. Think of what verses 15 and 16 say. 
my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Not only was God seeing, he was working, he was knitting David together. He was forming the days for David. You know, sometimes we reflect on those words and say, you know, God knows every day of my life. He, he already knows the, the length of my days. He knows the day of my birth. He knows the day of my death. But what is David saying? It's, it's more than just God knows the span of them. He's formed each day of them for you. Before you even began. This is the power of God. That power that is perpetually with David. It it speaks to the power of God. That no matter where David can think. As far back as the past before I was. Any conceivable future. Now God is there. Encircling and closing. Enfolding his people. And how should we react to that? How, can, how should sinners react to consider that God sees everything we do and everything we think? That God is always there. That God is always near. Right? I, I joked about what we say about Santa Claus, right? He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Right? He's watching. And so you better behave. Is that the message the psalmist is giving? Uh, does, the, does the idea that God is so present oppressive to him? I mean, maybe when you talk about, you know, a, a maze enclosing you before and enclosing you behind and someone putting the, you might begin to feel claustrophobic when you realize that there's nowhere you can go. You notice there's really none of that in this psalm? It's, it's beautifully told in such a way where you can begin to say, I don't know, is this a good thing or is it not a good thing? It, should I as a sinner be worried that God sees what I do, that he sees what's going on in my heart? Should it be a cause for anxiety? Should it be cause for despair? No, what does David do? He, he reflects on this perpetual reality and he finds it to be a reassuring reality. That it's a wonderful thing for him that God is so active in seeing him and evaluating and intervening for him. Because what does God do when he sees and evaluates and acts He acts for David, not against him. That's what he celebrates. That's why the sense that God is so present and so inescapable is to him a source of great hope and joy and not in any way a cause for anxiety or despair. Because God sees and he evaluates and he acts for the good of his people. Right, you lay your hand upon me. If that was all he said, that leaves an open question of whether or not that's a good thing. God lays his hand upon his enemies in Scripture. And he lays his hand upon his children. 
right? Sometimes parents lay their hands on children to express their love. Sometimes they lay their hands on their children to express discipline. What kind of laying on of the hands is this? Well, what does David say? You lay your hand upon me. And what does that hand do in verse 10? No matter where I go, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. What is God's hand there to do for David? It's not against him, it's for him. You hold my hand. In Scripture, that image often brings up the idea that God is leading us, is guiding us on the way that we ought to go. In that sense, it's a blessing that God is holding us by the hand. Your hand shall hold me. It holds us from slipping. Keeps our feet from falling, as Psalm 94 celebrates. When I felt my feet were slipping, your hand held me fast. It's God's hand hand that keeps us from falling, that leads us in the way that we ought to go. The fact that God is with us and acting for us is a great source of joy and hope for the psalmist. It's a blessing that God is so present. It's a blessing that there's no conceivable future where God will not be there. It's a blessing to think back that God has always been there, even before we were. That God was exercising such wonderful care, informing us, informing the days that He's made for us, to be with us, to lead us and guide us, and never to leave us or forsake us. Why is God's presence such a reassuring Reality, because he's motivated in all that he does by love. He sees and evaluates, not so he can destroy his people, but so that he can help them. He sees us as no one else sees us. He knows us as no one else knows us. And he loves us. One of the things we worry about is that if people really knew what we did or really knew what was in our hearts, they would run from us. But isn't it wonderful to meditate on the fact that God really knows us? He really sees what we are like. And He loves us. And when He acts, it's not to act against us. It's to act for us. He sees and evaluates and he sees what's lacking in our outward actions, what's lacking in our inward attitudes so that he can intervene for our good. So he can intervene and treat the problem. Not to destroy us, but to destroy the things that would rob us of joy and hope and a future. And that's the ultimate promise of a God who sees and evaluates and intervenes when there's no one else who can. The problems that he sees in us are problems that we can't solve, that nobody can solve. That only he can solve. And when he looks and he sees that there's only a problem that he can solve, what does he do? He solves it. Right? That's what Isaiah celebrates. 
In Isaiah 59 and and 63, when the Lord looks, what does he see in Isaiah 59, 14 through 16? We read, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it And it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. And so God saw that and he said, I've had it with this people. I'm just going to destroy them. No, what does he say? When he sees that there's no one to intercede, what what do we read? Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. When he looks around and sees that there's no one to intercede, he intercedes. When he looks around and sees there's no one to save, he saves. He comes back to that again in Isaiah 63, 7-9. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely, and he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. When God sees a people who need help, He helps. When he sees a people in need of saving, he saves. God sees and evaluates that he might intervene on the behalf of the people he loves. And of course, what Isaiah was really prophesying about was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the personification of the intervention of God for people in need. He is the answer to everything God's people need when God sees them and sees us in our need, when he sees the inward attitudes of our hearts and the outward actions that we undertake. He saw just how much we needed a Savior, someone who could come and pay for all the sins that we have committed, someone who could provide all of the righteousness without which we cannot stand before a holy God. And when God saw that it was utterly lacking in us and there was no hope of us doing that, what did he do? He came himself to provide it. The Lord Jesus came into the world to live the life we could not live so that his righteousness would be imputed to us. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty that we could not pay so that the debt that stood against us would be canceled and so that we could stand before the living God. That's why David celebrates the reality of God's perpetual presence, not as something to cause despair, not as something to cause anxiety, but something to cause us great hope, to bring us great comfort That the God who sees who we are as we really are takes pity on us and intervenes for us and provides for us what we need. 
What a great God. To love people who are undeserving of such great love. Who are undeserving of such great mercy. And that's why to understand the reality and to understand the reassurance of this reality should lead God's people to praise. This perpetual reality is a reassuring reality and therefore we understand what a praiseworthy reality it really is. And that leads David to the great adoration that he shows to God. Um, Meditating on all of these things David says they're, they're high, they're far above what I can truly comprehend. They're, they're wonderful, they're fearful, they're so deep, David says. But in the midst of all that, he says, they are also precious to me. These things that are so far beyond us, David says, they're, they're precious to us. Verse 17, how precious it is to know what, what value this is to know that God was with me before I was born. With me and for me before I was born. That he's with me and for me now. And that he will be with me and for me no matter what comes. No matter what future waits for me. And even in that last event of death, God will still be with me. I think it's death that David is contemplating in verse 18. When he thinks about all of his days and says, if I count them, they're more than sand. I awake and I am still with you. I think the sleep he's thinking there is not our normal sleep. I think he's thinking there of the sleep of death. And saying, you know, you are so powerfully present with me that when all the days you've ordained for me have passed, And I awake, I will still find you there. There's a presence that continues past death. And that I will awake from death and find you there. Find you there and that I'm still with you there. I think that's the wonderful poetic way David is expressing his hope even in death of the resurrection. That even death will not be able to separate me. From my God. Because what is death in in the face of the powerful presence of God? It's that 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 Peter celebrates in his Pentecost sermon in Acts chapter 2, where he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and knowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible. For him to be held by it. What is is Peter saying there? God the Father was there with the Son even in death. And he was there to loose death from him. He was there to act for his Son. To intervene for his Son. To raise his Son from the dead. And all this the Holy Spirit is bringing together in Peter's mind To say when God is there, powerfully present, what is death? It's something that God will loose and we will awake and find that we are still with him. Not even death can separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
That's the wonderful hope in which we live, in which we die. All of us will begin a new year and it will be the last year of our lives. Whether we live a long time or whether we live a short time. If, if Jesus does not come first, there will be a last new year for all of us. Um, we just had the privilege of visiting with Lucille Brockmuller. This is the 101st new year she's experienced. Right, think about that. This will be the 101st new year that she experiences. Many of us might not live that long. Uh, But there will come a day when all of us will experience our last new year. And what a privilege it is for the people of God to know that if we live them in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if the year brings us life or death, if this is one of 101 or if this is the last one. If we are with the Lord, there's nothing to fear in life or in death. That's reason to have great adoration for God, to think of these things as precious things to know that in life or in death, nothing can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's also reason for total allegiance to God. Um, many people have noted that, you know, this psalm seems to be banging along so nicely, so beautifully. And we have all this language of hatred. Um, why can the psalmist not resist talking about slaying wicked people, hating people who hate God? Why does it turn that direction? Um, even sometimes when we read, you'll hear a like public reading of Psalm 139, it will stop at verse 18, and it will pick up again at verse 23. People will just elide that hatred stuff. Why is it there? Because I think in the psalmist's mind, he's thinking of just how praiseworthy God is, and then he, he turns his mind to think, and there are people that hate this God. There are people that hate him, that hate his people, want nothing to do with him. And the psalmist is filled with such love and appreciation for the God that sees, intervenes, and saves. He cannot stand to think there are those people who hate God. All of the hatred is there for people who hate God. That's what really bothers him. Right, the, the men of blood that speak against you with malicious intent. David is all about allegiance to God. His total allegiance to God means total opposition to anyone who would hate this marvelous, wonderful God. Um, it teaches us as God's people that that's where our allegiance needs to be with God. Um, my assignment for you is not to go out and figure out who you should be hating today. But I think what David challenges us to do is to say, if we are totally for God, then we are totally against all that's opposed to him. And that's where his people must be, to see the greatness of this God and to say, I am going to be with God no matter who is against him. No matter what it costs, no matter what kind of target it paints on our backs, we are going to be with God because he is the only one worth being with. That's, I think, why this total allegiance and total opposition to everyone else comes out of David. And then he recognizes that but for the grace of God, he would be the enemy. He would be the one worthy of hatred. And so this consideration of the praiseworthy reality of God builds in him not only great adoration, not only total allegiance, uh, but also confident and earnest supplication to God. 
to make him the kind of man, the kind of believer that David wants to be. And so the psalm really ends where it began, pleading for God to do what he's always doing. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See me and evaluate me. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me. So that what? So that you can act and intervene for me as you've always done. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Um, Knowing who God is and who he's been for his people should cause us to pray more and more that God would look at us and evaluate us and intervene for us to be the God he's always been and always will be for his people. This is just praying the promises of God back to him. You are a God who searches, search me. You are a God who evaluates, evaluate me. You are a God who's always intervened, intervene for me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So as we greet this new year and we don't know what 2023 will hold for any of us, we know that God's word is clear, that he promises to be powerfully present with his people in this new year. And he will continue to see us and search us and intervene for our good because he's loved us in Christ. And therefore, every believer can say with Paul, for I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels or rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May that be the hope of all who believe. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise that it gives to us, the hope it gives us of your presence with your people. To know that you will be powerfully present with us helps us to face the uncertainties of, the li- of life in the confidence that you are with us. And so we do pray that in this new year, Lord, you will continue to search us, that you will look for any grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting that we might live and keep your word and glorify your name as the great God who has always been powerfully present with his people. Hear us and receive our thanks and praise, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.